And good day to you. Greetings to uh, the, the Lake Marion Waterford campus. Way to go being awesome. Gary, your biceps are looking really huge today. I just, I know, I know. I know he's going to hate it, uh, and, uh, but I love you, Gary. That's why I said that. OJ, uh, I hope you're not being a tyrant with your new pastoral uh, t title, uh, and, and I trust you all are doing well. Greetings uh, to, to my friends uh, at our campus in the 33rd Street Jail. Um, a special greeting. Uh, to, to the guys I get to worship uh, with there uh, on a regular basis. And I'll be with you again soon, but know that it's a privilege uh, to be a part of the church uh, alongside you. And greetings to the women uh, in, in the Women's Detention Center as well. Uh, you should know it's Madison's birthday uh, last week, so make sure to wish her um, happy birthday at some point um, before uh, they leave today. And happy birthday uh, to, to us all. We're 16 years old uh, as a church. That means uh, that I'm extraordinarily old, and uh, and also means that uh, we get to drive now. That's good. We're you know we're, we we get to date. I think maybe uh, if we're responsible and have good character. <laughs> A little over 16 years ago, uh, Isaac and I uh, sat down um, in, in our in our office, uh, which was the Borders Bookstore in Winter Park Village, and uh, we sat down and uh, and we began to ask uh, ask questions that really mattered to us. About what it was, uh, about what God was calling us to. See, we had given ourselves, along with Andy Simons, we'd given ourselves to uh, to one day starting a church together, to to be a community um, that, that, or to be a part of a church community that would bring hope and restoration and healing in, in our world. And we believed uh, that Jesus intended and would accomplish great things through His church. That between the time when, when Jesus accomplished all he set out to accomplish on earth in his death and resurrection, uh, and the time when he returns to make all things new, that, that he had put all his eggs in the church basket and said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't stand against it. And so we committed ourselves to that. So we sat down, took out our pens because we couldn't afford uh, computers, and we asked the question, what does a church do? At its basic essence, what does a church do? Because there's a thousand different churches uh, in a thousand different places that, that look a thousand different ways. But as we asked that question, as we explored the answer, we realized that every true church shares a core identity as an expression of the kingdom of God and shares common purposes. There's those purposes that we eventually articulated in the words of our vision to build biblically functioning communities that reach lost people connecting Christ-centered relationships, teach truth, serve others, and worship God. At its heart, no matter what it looks like, no matter where it is, whether it's a, whether it's a big and beautiful church or a church uh, that, that, that meets in, in, in a shack in a slum somewhere in Kenya, wherever it is, every church, every true church, ultimately works to accomplish those purposes. It may look very different, but at its heart, that is our identity. That is our purpose. So we set about uh, to accomplish those things. We invited our friends uh, and family to join us uh, in doing the same. And early on in, in the church, uh, one, one of the leaders I respect most in the world uh, made a very uh, profound and impactful statement. He said, make sure you don't accidentally build a church that you don't want to be a part of. A bit counterintuitive. Make sure you don't accidentally build a church that you don't want to be a part of. See, he knew the cost uh, uh, and the challenge and the risk uh, that we were stepping into. He knew that the church at its best is one of the most beautiful things in the world. And at its worst, it is, uh, it is, um, is a shadow of what God wants for it. He knew that it would require all our energy, all our effort, all of our passion. 
And he knew that if we didn't build something that we were deeply passionate about, if it didn't resonate to the deepest parts of who we are, then we would miss out, the church would miss out, and the world would miss out as well. The permission in that statement was to make sure the how of what we do resonates with the deepest parts of who we are and what we believe about God, what we believe about his character, what we believe about his purposes in and through the church. The answer to the question of how we live out the vision necessarily grows and changes over time. We grow and change as leaders. Our community grows and changes and requires new strategies for the same purposes. Our world changes and culture shifts. The essential brokenness of the world doesn't change. Or our need for salvation doesn't go away. But as conditions and symptoms change, so must we. When we started uh, the church... Um, all of the church experts, uh, of which there are many, uh, said that, that in, in 20 years we would be seeing uh, the church in America go the way uh, of the church in Europe, that essentially the church would be killed off. And of course, we summarily uh, rejected that and, uh, and, and pointed to God's word and the promise of the victory of the church through Jesus, through Jesus uh, in the Bible. But 16 years later, well, I recognize that the church can't be killed I can see where the church, some churches, might choose to die. See, our world is changing, and the culture that we live in, particularly here in the West, the, world, the, the fundamental worldview, the way that people see the, 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 how the world operates and how people operate and the essential nature of things, that is changing. It's been changing for a while, and the change is getting more rapid. The, the pendulum is swinging faster. And that swing in worldview, in my opinion, represents one of the most exciting opportunities for the church, but only if we're willing to embrace it. Not to deny it, not to ignore it, not to demand it change. But if we embrace the fact that, that, that the basic fundamental worldview uh, that, that, that surrounds the church is looking more and more different than the church, we can recognize that there's more and more opportunity for the church to stand in contrast to the world around us. The line between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom that Jesus came to build, that's, the, that's, that's being, being built and lived through the church, that differentiation will only get more obvious over time. And the opportunity with that for us to be a light in the world around us I think represents the most exciting opportunity for the church, maybe in a couple of generations. But we have to embrace it. We have to lean into it and be honest and real about it. I was meeting uh, with a church planter in, in Malawi a couple years ago, and, and, uh, and he was a couple years into his church plant and, and was really struggling with, uh, with burnout and fatigue. And, uh, and the church wasn't going well. And, and as I sat down and, and listened to him and tried to offer what encouragement I, c- I could, he, he made, he made what, what ultimately proved to be a really sad and tragic and fatalistic statement. He said, if this church isn't going to succeed, then Malawi needs to change. And I thought, my goodness, that's so, that's so not what it's about. The reality was, is the hope of the church is that as, as, as the church succeeds, the world will change. For him, as the church succeeds, Malawi will change. The, the church has to succeed in order for the world to change. 
We can't sit around and wait for the world to change and to meet our preferences so that we can succeed as a church, but rather we lean into the fact that there's a difference between what God wants to do in and through this new kingdom he came to establish and what the world looks like around us. And like it or not, know it or not, the world wants us to succeed because it's in the church that, 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 that true hope can be found. And so, as we engage the idea of, of, of being honest about the how of what we do, as we make sure that we're not accidentally building a church that we don't want to be a part of, we lay it all on the line. We change our strategies. If we need to change our strategies, we amend our preferences. We release the right to be comfortable, all so that we can be a part of changing the world. And because the best kind of changes never happen accidentally, it's essential for me, as it is for you, to be courageous and ask from time to time, am I building a church that I actually want to be a part of? You're here, you're contributing in some way to this church. Am I building a church that I actually want to be a part of? To honestly ask that question and embrace when change is a necessary part of the answer. See, God intends for his church. His intentions for his church are never to be a passionless, passive, comfortable, or even stable organizational entity. But a vibrant, living, breathing, agile, passionate, human expression of his new kingdom. Embodied in the community of those who bear the name of Christ. What God wants to do through his church is the most compelling, redemptive, beautiful story of hope and healing in our world. And if that story grows dim to the world, it's not because the story itself has lost its luster. But maybe because we've settled for a lesser storyline, a more palatable hope, and a lesser calling. And if we're honest, if we settle for the church being less than its best, it's never going to be the church that we want to be a part of. We were wired to be passionate about the things of God to be passionate for God and for his purposes in our lives. Now, when we ask the question, am I building a church that I actually want to be a part of? If we really, truly ask the question and if we take time to consider the answer, we have to be honest that it's a gut check moment. It's a gut check moment for anyone who dares to ask it. When was the last time that you had like a real gut check moment? I think for me, the, one of the most visceral uh, gut check moments in my, in my entire life happened uh, about eight years ago. I had, uh, I had some friends who'd gone down uh, to the Everglades to do kind of this publicized uh, python hunt, and they didn't see any pythons. But they came back and they said, you can go down to the Everglades and you can walk for an entire day and not see another person. And for me, like, the, the, the introverted, outdoor-loving part of me, just, like, that was a siren song. And so I said, I have to go to this place. And so, uh, so I, I made all these plans. I did all this research. I, I, I was going to go out. I was going to walk into the Everglades. I was going to kill all the snakes. And, and it was going to be incredible. And, uh, and so I asked friends if they wanted to go with me. And they said no. And so, uh, so I went down by myself. And, uh, and I, again, I planned as, as best I could. And I'd intended uh, to, to walk in along uh, this, uh, the, this levee. And I got there. But I brought my kayak just in case uh, walking wasn't an option. 
And I got there, uh, and, uh, and it was impossible uh, to, to walk anywhere. I pulled off uh, Alligator Alley, which is not a metaphorical name, and, uh, and, uh, and sat next to the water's edge uh, with my kayak, looking uh, down this canal that just disappeared uh, into the horizon. The only thing visible, other than gators kind of casually crisscrossing uh, the canal, was this kind of apocalyptic uh, structure uh, that, that was there to control the levee. And that was miles down, and I just looked. And it was, it was one of the most real, tangible, feel-it-in-your-gut, gut-check moments of my life. I won't tell you how long I stood there. Uh, the sun was fully risen uh, by, the time, uh, by the time I had made my decision. But, but there was that moment of knowing all that I'd researched, knowing all that I planned, knowing all that I intended, all of the possibility, knowing that I didn't know what I was getting into, knowing that there was so much unknown beyond the horizon. Knowing all of that, I had to ask myself, am I willing to step forward? Am I willing to take what comes to me, even if I don't know what it is, and even if I'm a little bit scared? When we ask the question, am I building a church that I actually want to be a part of? It ought to hit us in our gut. It ought to bring us to consider what we believe about God, what we believe God thinks about us, what he wants to do in and through his church. We ought to sit there with that feeling in the pit of our stomach and wonder, do I have the courage to trust that God can do great things through my life and great things through our church? As I've asked that question alongside our other staff leaders uh, over the last several months, as we've asked, are we building the type of church that we want to be a part of? As we've considered the implications of the answers and what it looks like in the years moving forward, just as we considered in the years past. As we've asked that question, I've arrived at an answer. Yes. That'd be weird if I said no. Yes, yes, I'm totally in uh, for, for what God wants to do in the church. I'm, totally, I'm, I'm fully excited about the church that God is building, and, and I want to be a part of it. I say yes to what we have been, yes to, to starting in, in the Aloma Cinema Grill and Draft House and having to clean up all the spilled food so that we could have church, yes uh, to the trials of Winter Park High School and Hot Easter, yes to doing church in a park after hurricanes, yes to the ill-advised idea of doing baptisms in a fecal-tainted dog park pond, Yes to now going to the beach for baptisms as, as often as we can. Yes to the miracle of God providing Summit's first home. Yes to launching the Waterford Campus. Yes to launching Lake Mary. Yes to, to, to seeing the church and inviting the church to come alive in the 33rd Street Jail. Yes to all of those things. Yes to all that God has done. Yes to the untold stories of thousands of lives that have been impacted through, through these expressions of the kingdom of God that we call Summit. Yes to what we've been, yes to what God has done, and yes, with emphasis, to where we're going. Even and especially if some of it will necessarily look different than in the next 16 years than it has in the first. Yes to continue being passionate about reaching people who are far from God. It's interesting, the... Uh, as I've, as I've considered like the implications of, uh, of reaching people and as, I, and, as, and as I've sought to understand our city and the greater uh, Orlando area, 
the, the fact that, uh, that there, like Zach said, are almost a million people who, who don't know that Jesus loves them, that ought to hit us really hard. That ought to sit in our hearts. We can never say enough is enough when it comes to, to letting people know that they matter to God. When it comes into, to, to, to reaching into broken and messed up lives and telling the story of the good that God has done through our broken and messed up lives. Last year, uh, there's some new Barna research uh, that came out, and this was surprising to me because I've always thought Orlando, you know, Florida in general is kind of like a, you know, an accessory on the on the Bible Belt, and that we're generally, you know, a Christian, uh, you know, Christian state, Christian community, Christian uh, city, and and Orlando, the greater Orlando area, ranks ninth in the most unchurched cities in the world, and sixth. In the most de or in this in the in the country, ninth is the most unchurched cities in the country, and sixth in the most dechurched cities in the country. The majority of the population around us, the majority of people you see and interact with every day, they don't have a practical hope that there's anything for their life beyond what they can muster up from their own resources, from their own courage. They don't know that they were created with intentionality and created for a purpose. And so we will commit ourselves in every campus that is and every campus that will be to continue reaching people who are far from God. And there will be other campuses in part because it is new expressions of the church that, that, that are ripe for evangelism. More people give their lives to Jesus in the context of the church in the first five years of a church than at any other point. And that doesn't mean at Herndon or Waterford or Lake Mary that we say we have enough, but it does say we continue to pour ourselves out so that people can be reached in these rooms and so that people can be reached in the ones that we don't even know about yet. My prayer is that in the next year, we'll see the beginnings of three new campuses of Summit. And they won't look like how we launched Waterford. They won't look like how we launched Lake Mary. The success of what Summit churches will look like in the years ahead hinges entirely on Summit Connect. It hinges uh, on people in connect groups that are geographically connected saying, we are going to care about the church being fully expressed in our community. And we're going to do whatever it takes in our groups and eventually in our church family. And to, the, to a larger extent, we're going to do whatever it takes to live out the full vision of the church. It may be that if you're in a summit connect group and you have to drive more than 20 minutes to get to your campus of choice, it may be that you'll be a part of one of those teams. It may be that that will be your gut check moment. Yes, to Christ-centered community. Yes, to continuing to build the type of community that God has called us to be. Yes, to having Christ as our mission. And yes, to being honest about the type of community we have and honest about where we're weak and where we're strong and where we need to grow. We've been doing an honest assessment of what our communities look like, how well we reflect the kingdom of God, how healthy we, how healthy we are as a church. It's interesting. There was a time uh, when, when we first started Summit. I was what, 24, something like that. Yeah, I was just a teeny tiny baby. Uh, and we were young, dumb, and broke, and no one knew what we were, what we were doing. And, uh, and, uh, and people, when they came to church, they... Someone's laughing at the Kleeb reference. There you go. That's right. You don't know me. Um, <laughs> people would show up to church, and they, and, and they would not mistake that there would be an opportunity for them to be fully involved, that, that they were needed as a part of this church. A 19-year-old kid who's also young, young, dumb, and broke could come in and could say, they can use me. 
we worked extra hard to keep people who were older than 40 uh, because uh, because uh, we, we we you know we wanted the the wisdom and, and experience and, and mentorship and discipleship that comes with that, um, and we knew that we would naturally attract younger people. Now I'm 41, I'm ancient. <laughs> to my kids, to most Africans, I realized I was recently in Malawi and Kenya, and everyone thinks I'm like 50 or more, uh, and and that was humbling. It was great though. But the reality is, as we get older, as we age, we ought to be extra intentional. Where when we were younger, we had to be extra intentional in reaching people older. As, as we get older, as individuals and as, as a church, we've got to be extra intentional about reaching folks who are younger. Recognizing that we'll never fully be the church that God wants us to be. We'll never fully build a church that we want to be a part of if there's not an opportunity for people who are, who are young, who are ready to commit themselves fully to something reckless in the name of Christ, that, that, that they could look at our church and say, I can do that there. There's opportunity for me to fully step into God's vision for my life as a part of that community. So we're going to be extra intentional in how we're reaching folks who are younger than me, who are younger than you maybe, and there's opportunity in that. Not because I don't matter, not because you don't matter, but because we have the opportunity to be a fuller expression of who God is and what he wants for his church as we're intentional in that. And the same goes, honestly, for, for, for what we look like in terms of ethnic diversity. I'm becoming increasingly convinced that we cannot be the church that God wants us to be. We cannot be the contrast, the beautiful contrast that the world needs to see in the church if we're not intentionally embracing and moving towards being more ethnically diverse as a church. While we may have a good or comfortable or acceptable start on that, the reality is the world in in, in what is a a biting and, 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 and divisive narrative in our world People ought to be able to look at the church and see something different, see a different framework for how we view our differences. I think that was God's intention from the very beginning of establishing the church. It was one of the biggest challenges of the church in the New Testament. It was something Paul taught about again and again. It was something Jesus prayed about. It was something that Jesus taught about. Some of his final times with his disciples in John 13, he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. The command to love other people wasn't new. The context is what was new. Jesus knew that the church was going to blow apart all the things that divided people. Economics, race, ethnicity, culture, all of it was going to be torn down inside the church. And so the new command wasn't, the, the idea of loving wasn't new, but the command to love one another in the context of the church was new and beautiful. And he said, by this, everyone, all who look in and see, will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. I was in a, uh, inter- I was in a workshop at a conference a couple years ago, and they were talking about the challenges of churches in kind of embracing and having healthy environments for there to be multi-ethnic conversations. And it was interesting. There's a lot of Q&A in the workshop, and a lot of people were expressing a concern about what if I, what if I misunderstood? What if I ask a question that's insensitive or ignorant? What if, I'm, what if, I, what if I have an assumption that, that, that I don't know is hurtful to another person? How do I handle all these things? How do I navigate this? And the woman who is... Who is uh, who was facilitating the conversation, kept coming back 
very gently but very clearly, kept coming back to the idea that, that those things aren't that way if you're talking with a friend. If you're in a conversation with a friend, someone who you truly know and is truly knows truly knows you, someone who's, who, who, who you have spent time with and invested in. Our questions aren't ignorant or bigoted or, or, or anything like that. They're received in the context of love. Her basic premise is, we, is churches can't be a true reflection of the diversity of the kingdom of God unless we're willing to have friends who are different than us. So the question is, do you have friends that are different than you? And if the answer is no, what do you do about it? Now, I'm no, uh, I'm no great, you know, social scholar or anything like that. I don't, uh, I don't know uh, how to make friends very well, so I'm, I'm very clumsy and awkward in it. So I'll tell you what I've done, and then I'm sure you'll have a better answer. But I've asked. I found people who are different than me, people that I respect, people that, that, that I know can, can, can speak into my life, people that, that I can trust and, were, and are willing to trust me, and I've asked them. Will you be my friend? And I've yet to get a yes, but I'm just kidding. No, as, as people have done that, it has been so good. God has done amazing things in that. That trip I was on recently to Malawi and Kenya, it included some of those friends who've been willing to say yes to being a friend to me and allowed me to be a friend to them. And I look forward to seeing those friendships grow in, in the years ahead as our churches work together to figure out what it means to more fully reflect the diversity of God's kingdom in our individual churches. So yes to Christ-centered community, yes to teaching truth. Next year, we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about and understanding this whole idea of the kingdom of God being at hand, the present nature of the kingdom of God lived in the church. We'll be seeking to understand the character of the kingdom, the the kingdom ethic, what it means for us to to live as citizens of God's kingdom to surrender ourselves to God's purposes in our lives, to submit to his kingship in our lives so that we can more fully live out the life that he wants us to live. Not because he demands it of it, but because, or demands it of us, but because we're invited into it. Yes to, to, to teaching truth, yes to living truth, yes to letting the truth always take us to the person of Jesus. Yes to serving to continuing to pour ourselves out for the sake of others, for the most vulnerable in our, in our world, to recognize that we are the hands and feet of Christ and we are intended to show up for those who are most vulnerable, who are most likely to be overlooked and underserved. I'm so grateful that we're a church uh, that is known in our city as a church that serves. I'm so grateful that we've been able to engage in meaningful global partnerships that, that, that are, are bringing profound changes in the communities where we serve. And we're actually going to be taking a page from our global partnership handbook and, and applying it to how we go about serving locally. So we've been really strategic in how we serve globally and very specific in our geography and our purposes and our intentions. And we're going to begin to, to, to show and carry and work towards that same clarity and specificity in our own city. Because while we're a church that's known for showing up and serving, I believe, I really do believe this, that as we do that, and as we engage it again and again and again, that we can actually see things change in our cities. That we can actually see a difference in our world. That when we say we're going to show up for the most vulnerable and we do it again and again and again and commit ourselves to that in our own communities, that there will be a difference. That lives, that neighborhoods, that schools will be transformed. 
And when we say showing up for the most vulnerable, it starts really with, with most vulnerable children. In any vulnerable community, in any vulnerable relationship, in any vulnerable structure, the most vulnerable in those communities are children. So we start there, and we see where God takes us. We look at broken relationships, broken communities, broken structures that contribute to vulnerability, and we do something about it. And we're going to learn a lot along the way, and we're going to, I'm sure we'll make some mistakes. I know we'll do a lot of things right. And for some people, it will require showing up big. For others, it'll just require showing up. I was fascinated the other day. I was talking uh, with a guy, Scott Lee, who runs uh, the charitable trust for, uh, for a well-respected company uh, here in town. And, and one of their focuses is in improving, uh, improving uh, circumstances and, and services for, for kids in, in under-resourced schools in our cities. And he said, you know what one of the biggest challenges is for, for students in these schools? He said, there, there are bright, capable students with the grades to get into college and there's financial aid available for them to be able to do so. And there's one simple missing piece, that there's no one in their life to help them navigate that paperwork. There's no one in their life to just show up and help them get that done. They may be the first person in their family who's ever been this close. And there's no one in their family who can properly support them in that. The schools, regardless of the, of, of the good intentions of the faculty, are so understaffed so overstretched in the resources that, 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 that advisors and counselors can't show up in that. But if we did, if we as a church showed up in that and said, we're going to give an hour to a student, we're going to help them fill out the paperwork, it becomes a game changer for them. It gives them an opportunity to break what might be a multi-generational cycle of vulnerability. We can do something about that. And if we give ourselves that again and again and again in a myriad of different ways, we can see God do amazing things through our humble and sometimes fumbling acts of service. So yes to that. And yes to worship. Yes to recognizing that God does the work, that God gets the glory. Yes to surrendering my will to his Yes, to submitting myself to his purposes. Yes, to serving the best I can. Yes, to living as a kingdom citizen. So that as the kingdom shines brightly in the world around us, as there's, as there's a beautiful contrast, that that can be seen in my life. That there can be beauty that, that can only come from the fact that Christ is transforming me. And that beauty can shine brightly in the world around us. Yes to all of it. In the next five years, that's going to be mean more expressions of summit. It's going to be more diversity. It's going to be more and better leaders. The, the, the world needs you to be at your best in your church, in your workplace, in your school, in your family. There will be more and more meaningful impact in how we serve. There will be fuller worship. Not a worship uh, uh, of, uh, of sacrifice, but a worship uh, of, uh, of joy for the glory of God through our lives. In order to get there, in order to be fully who God wants us to be, each of us, again, needs to be willing to honestly ask the question, am I building the kind of church that I want to be a part of? Is that the kind of church I want to be a part of? Am I willing to step into, into community at Summit that is committed to forming new expressions of the church? Am I willing to do more, give more, lead more, so that we can reach more? Am I willing to be friends with people who are different than me and engage in honest, empathetic, redemptive community? 
Am I willing to give up the option of building a community that looks like me, feels like me, agrees with me, that doesn't challenge, and maybe doesn't even really grow me, and step into community that comes alive in the diversity of its people with Christ as our center? Am I willing to build a community that stands in beautiful contrast to the divisive, self-centered, corrosive narratives of this world? Am I willing to be shaped by the truth of God's word? To surrender my will and embrace his purposes for my life? Am I willing to change? Am I willing to live first as a kingdom citizen with all of its privileges and all of its responsibilities? Am I willing to be intentional in how I bring this new kingdom of God to life through service? Am I willing to show up for the most vulnerable in our city? Am I willing to really, truly make a difference, though the cost may be high? Am I willing to do all of that? Not for what I gain, not for my own glory, but as an act of worship. Am I willing to live a life that active that actively in my words and actions and relationships recognizes the character and purposes of God? Am I willing to empty myself and live for his glory? Am I willing to be a true worshiper? Am I willing to step boldly into the gut check moments as they come? and to step boldly into the answers with Christ as our strength. I hope you are. Our church will be a better church if you are. Our world will be a better world if you are. We need you to be. Your family needs you to be. Your friends, your coworkers, your, your classmates. I hope you're willing to answer yes to those questions. And I want you to know that I am. I'm as excited and as passionate, as grateful as I am for all that God has done at Summit. I'm as passionate and excited and motivated and driven to be a part of what God is doing in the future through Summit as I've ever been. I'm in it for the long haul. Now, probably sometime in the next 10 or 15 years, I have the privilege uh, of firing myself uh, and, uh, and hopefully getting another job at Summit. Uh, my, my hope long term is that I'll be the, 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 the kindly, crusty old man uh, who tidies up the bathrooms between services and, uh, and, and that no one will really know who I am, but that I'll be able to be content in the knowledge that God is still letting me be a part of one of the most beautiful, one of the most humbling one of the most exciting expressions of his kingdom that I've ever had the privilege of being a part of. I love our church. I love our community. I love the mission of God for us. I love where we're going. And I hope you'll join us as we go there together. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you. Grateful that you love us, and your love means that not only are we rescued, but we're included. And I pray uh, for myself and for every person in this room as we humbly and honestly answer the question, am I building a church I want to be a part of? That that will be a question that, 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 that opens up our heart, that enlivens our imagination, that builds our passion, and ultimately that it draws us closer to you. We know we can do nothing without your strength and we can do nothing good that really matters in this world unless it's for your glory. So I pray, just as you've been good to us in the last 16 years, that you'll continue to be so in the years to come. 
that their church will, will, will grow and change and look different and better and all of that. That ultimately the story won't be a story of Summit Church, but it'll be a story of you. We ask this all in your holy and precious name. Amen.